Thank you for listening to this podcast from Renew San Diego, a church for the good of all our neighbors in North Park, San Diego. If you're ever in the area on Sunday mornings, we'd love to welcome you. More information at renewsandiego.org. Share with a friend. See you soon. Scripture today is from the books of Isaiah and John. From Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For a child has been born for us, a son given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And from John 14:27, Peace I live with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not let them be afraid. And from John, chapter 20, verse 21, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. This is the word of the Lord. Please take a moment for silent reflection. Let's pray together. Gracious God, even as we listen to these ancient words, words from the prophet Isaiah in a time of political and military upheaval, of chaos everywhere, foreseeing that there would be one who would make things right, whose one of his titles would be the Prince of Peace. And then, Jesus, as we look at you, that very Prince of Peace, who gives peace not as the world gives, who gives peace that can actually heal our troubled hearts. Help us to consider what it would look like this morning for us to receive that peace. And then hear your words say, as I have been sent, so I send you. We go out into this world as agents of your peace. This week, as we reflect on Advent peace, how we long for it, how we anticipate it, how frustrating it is because it feels like trying to hold water in our hands and it slips through our fingers. Would you bring peace into our lives and into our world right now? However we find ourselves, believing or unbelieving, somewhere in between, remembering a time when we used to believe these things and now you seem a million miles away and we wonder what happened to you? What happened to us? We wonder if we could ever believe these things again. Some of us become more cynical this particular time of year because Christmas peace feels so contrived in a world that's so violent. And so we ask now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would break through. You'd open our eyes to your light, our minds to your truth, 
our hearts to your love, our lives to your grace, and then send us out to be your very agents of renewal wherever we go. We pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. This is the first Christmas I can remember in my 16 years of marriage to Florence Nault where I have already done all my Christmas shopping and I think I got actually great gifts. So I'm pretty happy about that. I am not good at giving gifts on a particular date. I'm the kind of friend or family member who will think of you in the middle of February and just buy the thing that I think you would like, but then on Christmas I can't think of a single thing to get for you. So uh, if I've ever gotten you a bad gift or a late gift, now you know a little more of the inner workings of Matt Nault's mind and heart. There you go. But gifts. I was reflecting on gifts this week, and I always remember this time when I was a little kid. You know, I grew up in Ocean Beach, but my mom and my dad's parents are all from Chicago. So I used to reverse commute during the summer. Everyone else is coming to the beach for holiday. I'm going back to the Midwest. And the same thing in the winter. And people would be saying, what are you doing in Chicago in December? It is snowing here when it's 70 degrees in San Diego. Can we please you know, swap houses here? And I remember going back to my grandma and grandpa's home. And they'd always say, Maddie, what do you want? Maddie, what do you want? And I very simple list. I was, I was six years old. The list was as follows. I want a sander, a saw, and a drill. And in my mind, I'm picturing a belt sander, a circular saw, and a power drill. And so first person gets me these things, but they're all like the Tyco. They just make the noise, battery operated. It doesn't cut anything. All it did was cut my expectations for Christmas. I was so disappointed. And then Grandma Hurst. Grandma Hurst. She, I remember opening that thing up. It wasn't a circular saw, but it was a good handsaw. And there was a neat little miniature drill that worked, and, and that was great. And then we went over to my grandma and grandpa Nault's home, because, you know, it was the two Christmas thing. And I had brought my saw with me just in case there was something that needed to be cut. And I found something. See, my dad played ice hockey, and he gave me a coho hockey stick expensive hockey, the kind of hockey stick that Wayne Gretzky would use, or Mario Lemieux, if you know any of these old names from the 90s, 80s. And um, I took that hockey stick. It was just a little too big for me, but I had a saw. And so at some point, little Maddie disappeared into the spare bedroom with a saw in one hand and a coho hockey stick in the other, and he came out with a very short coho hockey stick. I cut that thing so low it couldn't be used for anything. Three-year-old me could not have used that hockey stick. I got, you know, as my barber says, you can always cut more off, but you can't put more on. You know, same thing with a hockey stick, I guess. But here's the point. For that Christmas, I knew exactly what I wanted, and I got it. And then I didn't know what to do with it. And so I ruined my own gift. I ruined the whole thing. I had really good intentions and terrible impact. And I think in the same way, as we consider Advent peace today, it's similar. We all want it. Who doesn't want peace? We all want it. We just can't agree on what it looks like or how to get it. Often our very attempts for bringing more peace into our lives short-circuit it and unravel you know, we think if we would work harder, then we'll have peace. If we can make more money, 
then we'll be at peace. And we work and we strive and we're exhausted. We think if we can run faster, we'll achieve our goals and then we get tired and anxious on the way and we burn out. I mean, we run entire global military campaigns on the premise that if we just have the ability to obliterate the enemy with nuclear weapons, then we'll have more peace in the world. And as nation after nation buys into this program, we multiply our ability to blow up the very planet that we live on in the name of peace. We all want peace. We just don't know how to get it. And often our very attempts at achieving it short-circuit us. Is there a way to live in this world with all of its chaos, uncertainty, confusion, the fact that you have to be close to the other people in proximity with you, and at the same time, the fact the closer you are to somebody, often it's that much harder to have a great relationship with them. The closest relationships are often the most difficult. And the holidays push us together, and so we feel it even more. Is it possible to go through this season and this life and not become more cynical or more jaded or detached? To not just get run over by it and have to resign ourselves to this is just the way things are and life's just disappointing and then you die. But to have peace. Today in our scriptures, we're invited to consider the problem of peace, the prince of peace, and what it looks like to be people of peace. First, we've already begun describing the problem of peace. And the word that's often translated peace throughout the Bible is this word shalom. It's a Hebrew word. It's, a, it's, it's an original word that describes nothing less than the absence of conflict, which is how we usually identify or define peace, right? We're not fighting right now. We're at peace. It's nothing less than that, but it's a whole lot more. It's a picture of the way that a good, creative, giving God designed us in God's image and likeness to flourish. And so there's a connection to the divine, to the one that created you, and you know who you are. There's right relationship with other people around you. The way that the Bible describes it is you can be naked and not ashamed. In other words, fully known, fully seen, and unafraid. Comfortable in your own skin. There's right relationship to the created order where we don't use the environment, but we actually steward it. There's this symbiotic flourishing that goes on in every dimension. That is the peace that this is talking about. Flourishing. Harmony. And everyone agrees that's a good thing. The problem is we can't agree on how to achieve it. And they couldn't back then either. So that first part that Rita read for us is from Isaiah. You remember we went over Isaiah just the other week. Isaiah was prophesying to the people of Israel who had flourished and now were about to be crushed by the Assyrians uh, just outside of the gates, the strongest military power of their time. And so when they hear that this prince of peace will come to bring peace to Israel, they are expecting this new king who will come and accomplish peace in the way that all kings accomplish peace. By developing a war arsenal and deploying it against the enemy and crushing them in order to ensure their peace. And they're saying, I can't wait for the prince of peace. To rule with peace by coercion 
to take the enemy captive, to break their bows, to shatter their spears. This was later as Jesus is talking about the peace that I give you, not as the world gives. They had the same version of peace, just a remix of it, with the Roman Empire, of the Pax Romana, where Caesar will give you peace in the land at the tip of a Roman centurion's spear. And if you disagree, they'll cut your head off. Peace, just like that. So everyone says, yes, I want that kind of peace. I want a king who can crush the other kings. I want a warrior who can crush the other warrior. Ironically, Jerusalem itself, if you break the name of Jerusalem, the word down, the Hebrew word, Jeru Shalem, Shalom. Remember Shalom, peace, flourishing? The city of peace. It was a city that was founded with the ideal of flourishing. The only problem is, they never accomplished it. When the people would amass resources, they would make sure that there were lines drawn between who gets access and who doesn't. In stratification in society, there were insiders and there were outsiders. There were people who were pushed down and oppressed. These are what the prophets are continually coming back and saying to the people of Israel, you were designed for so much more and you've settled for so much less in this relentless pursuit for peace for your hearts, for your lives, for your city. You're anxious, you're troubled, you're exhausted, you're dehumanizing yourself, let alone what you're doing to other people around you. Now, you might not be doing this at the tip of a spear, and I hope you're not. If you are, let's talk, get a hold of me. But we still go about our campaigns of peace, and it leaks out onto other people around us. What would it look like if you were known as the person of peace, in your family this Christmas season? What would it look like if you were known as the person of peace on your block? That neighbors would know, I'm having a hard time right now and I know I could go talk to them. To be a person of peace in your workplace. See, we value it, but we don't know how to achieve it. And so as I said, we work harder, we purchase more things. We go on more vacations. We sign up for more happy hours. We work fastidiously to polish and perfect the image that we present to the world. And the question is, how is that working for you? What if you could have a peace, a flourishing, a settledness that nothing could add to and nothing could take away from? You'd have a new resiliency in this world altogether, a new stability. And that's a picture of what we're doing in Advent. Recognize, it starts with recognizing the problem of peace, the longing, the lack, the anticipation. It starts there. And we do it together, leaning in toward Christmas, that the light has come. So let's look at this Prince of Peace. Because Isaiah foretells that God will break through, the divine has entered into our story to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. And what is that? To bring peace. Not peace that you manufacture. In fact, Jesus differentiates this peace in John chapter 14. He says, behold, peace I give you. And then he clarifies it. 
I don't give you peace as the world gives. So don't let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. You know what he's saying. Let's consider this. What is the type of peace that the world gives? What, what is the offer of peace toward you? If you just own the right car, you will be driving around those beautiful snow-capped mountains, wind in your hair, and everything will be right with this world. If you just subscribe to the right you know, entertainment feed, then you will be filled with images and sounds and stories of delight, utterly entertained into peace. If you climb the corporate ladder, then one day you will achieve that kind of stability and peace that you seek. We have the narrative of you can have more force than the other person, then you can enforce peace. The problem with all of that is it leaves your heart troubled. It leaves you afraid. What if you did a diagnostic right now? Just where is your heart troubled? Where is your heart afraid? And everywhere Jesus goes, his actions toward people who are troubled and afraid illustrate exactly what it looks like when this peace comes in to the world. Everyone he meets, he loves, he forgives, he heals, he restores, and constantly he says, go in peace. The very embodiment of shalom, peace on earth, contradicting the violence of the Pax Romana, it perplexed Pilate. Pilate didn't know what to do with Jesus. Instead of killing his enemies into submission, he rescued and forgave them, ultimately taking the whole cycle of violence upon himself on the cross. Gandhi famously said, an eye for an eye only makes the whole world blind. Einstein, after coming up with some of the formulas that were used in the Manhattan Project for nuclear obliteration, famously said, the problems we have now created cannot be solved by the same minds that created them. We need something new. We need something fresh. We need God to break in. And when you look at Jesus, this is what we anticipate at Christmas. It's God breaking in to do something about the violence of our hearts and our lives. The frantic ways we try to fill them more and become troubled and afraid. It contradicts the violence of this world. It also goes beyond the religious expectations. There's a place in the Gospel of John where a woman who was caught in the act of adultery by the religious leaders is brought in front of Jesus. And they want to trick him. I mean, first of all, they want her out of the picture. But they want to feed two birds with one crumb here and trick him as well. And they say, Rabbi, what should we do with her? She was caught in the very act of cheating on her husband. Now, there's a whole sermon on this. There's a whole book on this, of course. Where's the guy? All of this. Why is she the only one getting unfair treatment under the law? All of that. But look, look, look at Jesus' response. Whoever of you who's never sinned, go ahead and throw the first stone. And they begin to fall away one by one. He turns to the woman and says, woman, has nobody accused you? She said, nobody. The irony is, he is the only one without sin that could have cast the first stone. And instead he says, 
then neither do I accuse you. Go in peace and sin no more. See, the religious establishment both then and now says one of the ways we can have peace is by maintaining the purity at all costs. And the way you do that is decide who's holy and sacred and who's not. And the holy and sacred people huddle together and throw stones at everybody else. That's a way for violence in the community and it's a way, that, sure way to erode your own soul. Because Jesus is the only one that can throw stones and he decides to say, as Prince of Peace, I forgive you. A new way forward altogether. Now, I know when I say I forgive you, at this point in time, 2021, North America, Southern California, post-enlightenment, post-Christian society, I get that, like, this isn't even a society that necessarily says, like, oh, I think I'm a sinner and I need to be forgiven by God or anything like that. I do, however, know also that you have a conscience. Where's the place where your conscience is telling you right now I need to be forgiven for this. I need to stop running from this. I need to stop covering this up. I need to stop letting this beat me up. What if today you can hear his voice say, I see it. I've seen it this whole time. I've been waiting for this moment. And I forgive you. The Prince of Peace which then turns us into people of peace because he doesn't stop there. He says, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, so I send you. To be a Jesus follower, to be a Christian means to receive that peace and then reflect it out into the world. This Advent we celebrate because his light has come into the darkness. The Prince of Peace comes to restore shalom and we are both invited in to receive it and then sent out to reflect it and deliver it into this world. With a new capacity to forgive others. As you begin to say, as he has forgiven me, I can now forgive these people. Of course, forgiveness does not mean minimizing or saying that the action was okay or excusing it. You have to do it with sophistication, with wisdom, appropriately, and sometimes with boundaries. But you don't have to be a slave to your grudges any longer. A new capacity to forgive. A new readiness to share generously. To look at your resources as a gift that has been given to you to steward and as a gift that you can give wisely, generously, and sacrificially. More attentiveness to the vulnerable. In a world that shouts at you that you do not have enough, the reality is where most of us are in the top one or two or three percent of the world's population in terms of resources. If you have access to clean drinking water, you're already doing better than at least a billion people on this planet. But that narrative that you don't have enough, it keeps us hungry so we buy more things, it keeps the wheels turning and the Dow Industrial Jones you know, goes up and all that. But it keeps you unfulfilled. And so you always think you don't have enough. And then you don't notice people who really don't have enough. You know how I know that? Because I do the same thing. The Prince of Peace comes and says, I see you, I meet you, I care for you, and now you can go and care for others around you. It gives you a new humility. A new confident humility, where you don't mind being last. You can actually say, no, go ahead, please. 
You don't need to prove yourself in every crowd you enter, every room you walk into. You know who you are. And so you can enter into relationships and conversations and work contracts from a perspective of how do I add the most value to this particular situation? How do I be of ultimate service here? And I'll tell you, as you live life that way, the value comes back as well. It just seems to happen that way. I love what Steve Jobs said in the closing chapter of his, uh, autobi or his biography by Erickson, or Isaacson. He says, Bill Gates set out to make a billion dollars, and he did. But his products are crummy. He didn't use the word crummy. He said, we set out to make the most powerful, elegant, perfectly integrated hardware and software on the planet, and we did. And in the process, we made a billion dollars and more. In other words, we focus on doing something great, and the resources follow. What would it look like if your whole life project is not focused on amassing more resources, but focused on being of value wherever you go? Living open-handed like that. That's the way this church operates. I mean, the more we grow in terms of people, the more we grow in need. We're growing among people who are either, you know, have resources and have a lot of questions and can't even believe you're in a church right now asking these questions. So you, you want more spiritual direction, spiritual formation. Maybe you don't even call it that. You have questions. You want to meet up and talk. That's awesome. That's why we're here. And we're growing among people who don't have resources at all and need help getting access to housing, access to recovery, access to community. We pour ourselves out and trust that God will continue to pour God's self into us in active faith. You know what this means, kids? Any kids who are watching? It means that in school, you trust that the Prince of Peace is with you in school. Whether you're in school in person or online, the reality of cyberbullying online on Instagram and Pinterest and social media, and then real, you know, physical bullying in person is at an all-time high. And I don't have to tell you this. You, you tell me about it. But it means you become a person of peace on campus, that you don't participate in bullying others. And if you see it, you go tell a grown-up right away to put an end to it. You stand with the person who's being put down. That would change the entire campus. As a church lives that way, that changes the entire city because we're living according to the Prince of Peace. See, a Christian is one who is set free in order to liberate others, who receives peace in order then to distribute it. And as that happens, the new Jerusalem comes into this reality, the new city of peace takes place around us right now as we live into it. And when you do, you will be contradictory. You will be inexplicable to a world that is anti-shalom. And you will be good news to a world that so desperately needs it. Let us walk in the light of Advent as we walk toward the Prince of Peace together. Let's pray. Gracious God, we do pray now that you would bring the light of your peace into our lives and into our world. We pray that you would make this concrete and specific in our lives right now as we reflect on you as the Prince of Peace, what it means for us to receive it and what it looks like for us to go out as people of peace wherever we go. And as we prepare to come to this table, we come hungry and thirsty, needing you to fill us 
And so do that right now, we pray. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.